Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to make lasting behavioral change that'll stick around far longer than the latest mindset hack. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. My guest today has a lot of good stuff to share with us, and I haven't yet addressed this type of thing on the Women in the Middle podcast yet. So I am delighted to have her join us. But just quick, I have a new opportunity to tell you about. I'll soon be launching a new sister podcast called Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, and I'm currently looking for guests. So if you're a woman in the middle who's 50 plus and also an entrepreneur or business owner and actively dealing with navigating around and through classic midlife related obstacles and challenges while you're trying to run your business, (laughs) this new podcast is especially for you. If you're interested in learning more about how to be a guest, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. There's lots more information there so you can see if you're a good fit for this show. Okay, let me introduce you to my amazing guest on the podcast. Today's episode is called Positive Psychology, Life Coaching, and Transformation. And my guest is Dr. Sasha Hines, a developmental psychologist and mindset coach who's an expert in positive psychology, lasting behavioral change, and the science of getting unstuck. I was excited to have Sasha on as a guest because she's an academic who went mainstream, and you always know there's a good story there. She received her BA from Harvard, her PhD in developmental psychology from Columbia, and her master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, where she also served as a faculty member. Sasha brings a fresh and desperately needed perspective to adult personal development. While all things self-help have skyrocketed in popularity in the recent years, and you know that by looking at all the books that are available, more than 60% of adults are still not high-functioning in terms of their cognitive framework. With the proliferation of personal development experts, it's more important than ever to center the conversation about growth and development in adulthood around compelling theory and research. Dr. Sasha Hines has based her entire career on helping clients make real transformations giving them the tools to develop their mental fitness by facing challenges and breaking our mind's default modes for stress, self-criticism, and anxiety. If you love self-development, and I know you do, (laughs) you're going to love this interview with Sasha. Please enjoy. Hi, Sasha. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. Wow, it's been a while. I haven't seen you since coach training so many years ago. A long time ago. So much fun. So I was so excited to have you on the podcast today because, well, for lots of reasons, but one I was really interested in is that my background is also in psychology, but applied social psychology. And unlike you, I don't have your academic credentials in developmental and positive psychology, but we both love psychology and I'm super interested in your perspective on getting stuck in the transformation journey. Because as mindset coaches, that's really our business. So one of the first questions I love to dive into is your personal transformation journey and 
and how you got from academia to positive psychology and then from positive psychology to mindset coaching. So tell us a little bit about what happened for you. I don't know. I think I'm like one of the few weirdos who actually wanted to be a coach from the beginning. Um, I was, I don't know, maybe 23 when I decided that I wanted to be a coach. And I had, I was like, I want to be a life coach, but I haven't lived a life yet. So maybe (laughs) I should go do that. (laughs) Good idea. Um, By the way, and life coach is such a silly term for what, for what we do. Um, I, I think that I lament the, the title that we have. Um, nonetheless, it is what it is, but, um, why we were designated as life coaches, I don't know, but I think, you know, what do we do? We are people that are, um, focused on like psychology, like differently than a psychotherapist or, um, you know, a psychologist who's a clinical psychologist who's working with, um, working with people, um, we too are working on people's growth and development. Um, but you know, we're not necessarily doing the work of healing. We're not doing the work of, um, of, you know, of, uh, mitigating disease disorder and dysfunction. We're doing the work of adult development. I mean, I think of myself as an, really, if I was to give myself a a title, it would be adult developmental coach. That's really Mm. what I do. Um, And when you think about this through the lens of child development, you know, we have things that are, you know, we have professions like teachers and coaches and things like this, um, that we rely on these professionals to help kids grow and develop and, um, master various skills, um, overcome obstacles to, um, be able to confront and successfully um, transcend various developmental tasks and challenges. And the same is true in adulthood. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this, we, we have developmental tasks and challenges in adulthood. And so I think of our work that we do as, um, you know, as, as being the coaching people through those very normal developmental growth curve and, and, and they're hard. There are a lot of hard stages, just like there are a lot of hard stages in childhood. There's a lot of hard stages in, in, in adulthood too. So, you know, life coach perhaps, but I, yeah, I was 23. I was so young. And, um, and then Marty Seligman just by luck, cause I was working with a coach and she, you know, back in the day of listservs back in 2002 mm-hmm. or whatever it was. She sent 2003, something like that. Anyhow, she sent me, um, like there was a listserv that went out and said, you know, Marty Seligman at University of Pennsylvania is offering, is launching this new program and applied positive psychology. And I was working, um, in New York at the time. And I, I was working a job, but it certainly wasn't a career. You know, it was very much a job. And, um, I thought, oh, this is so cool. And, um, they didn't require the GRE. If you'd been working for three years, which I had. So I thought, no harm. I'll just apply, right? No big deal. So I sent in my CV and um, my essay or whatever it was. And I got in and that was that. And I I went on, then I quit my job and I went to Penn the next year. But why Um, did you light up when you heard Marty Seligman's name? What about it attracted you? Because you know, in this time of my early twenties, like I didn't have a midlife crisis. I had a quarter life crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did. I mean, it was like face plant at age, you know, 20. 
<laughs> and um and and because I had been a really goal driven kid mm-hmm. and I went to um Harvard University that's where I wanted to go I was myopically focused on that and I think once I got there I had which I think you know anyone who's really goal oriented knows this feeling which is you accomplish the goal and then you kind of on the other side of it and you're like oh uh, now what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this this focus this like this um brass ring that is completely focused like oriented my entire life my whole mm. life structure was oriented around like, this is where I want to go to college. And this is what I'm focused on. And then once I accomplished the goal, I had no idea what I wanted to do with this thing that I had accomplished, Um, which may sound so strange. Like, can you, how do you go to a school like that and not know what you are interested or want to study? Well, I, I, I was that kid. I had no idea. I was like, I don't even know what I'm interested in. I wasn't interested in anything. I just want to, you know, I was only interested in something if it had some sort of utilitarian value toward goal accomplishment. Yeah. So I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was interested in. I had been an athlete for most of my life and I had decided not to continue playing sports in college. So, um, you know, I was like completely lost and I look back and think, yep, that's what was going on. I just had no sense of who I was or what I was interested in. And um, I worked, I ended up when I graduated, I ended up working with this coach. Her name was Caroline Miller. Love her so much. owe her so much. And she had, um, you know, gone to Harvard and I was struggling with an eating disorder at the time and she had recovered from bulimia. And so I was working with her to help me kind of get my life together. And I loved the modality of coaching. I loved having, uh, you know, a session with Caroline where we were talking about this future that could be better, as opposed to unpacking what had gone wrong. Yep, that's amazing. It's so different than what we've experienced, most of us, right? So different. I had the same experience the first time I had a coach. I was like, "What? I'm getting this kind of insight and result so quickly." What have I been doing? And you also think, well, I've been working in the field of psychology for a while. Why don't I know more? Well, <laughs> right. Well, and the other thing that I think is so true, uh, um, that I and I really learned this and experienced this firsthand was that I had spent years seeing, you know, so social workers, and while I was at school, trying to to get better, and nothing was really working, and I felt totally demoralized. Like this is, you know, I mean, really, like I felt defeated by this addiction. I didn't know what to do or how to help myself. I really felt lo- like just despair. And, you know, the interesting thing is that in these sessions, I'm like unpacking like my relationship with my parents and my role in my family system and all of that stuff. And while yes, all of these things contributed to where I was at and among other things, you know, once in working with a coach, I started actually to live a good day and then string two days together and three days together. And then I'd have a week where I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I actually stuck to my food plan and I'm stabilizing this and I'm over, I'm recovering from this addiction and lo and behold, my life feels better. And I'm you know, my, my friendships are being restored and all of these wonderful things were happening and life started to just get way better. Like it just was way better. All of a sudden my life was better. And lo and behold, (laughs) when your life gets better, do you know what's also easier? 
Tell me. Reconciling your past. <laughs> because yeah. I wasn't so angry anymore, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, and I'm not to say that there weren't deep and, and like tearful conversations that needed to happen because indeed there were, but the edginess, the anger, the like, you screwed me up feeling was gone because I didn't feel screwed up anymore, actually. Right. You know, I was like, actually, I've never been better. My life has never felt, um, I, I'd never felt more proud of myself. Um, and, and I, and I really, my life like transformed. And, um, so I just like, you know, I don't know, that just really changed my life. And I thought, thought like, wow, healing my past is a lot easier when my present isn't a piece of SHIT. Wow. So when, when this positive psychology invitation came your way, it's no wonder that your eyes lit up. Totally. And I've been reading, um, you know, I've been reading Seligman's work. Um, he'd just written authentic happiness. So I had just read his, that book. And, you know, one of the sort of messages in, in, uh, in authentic happiness, which was really his first book on positive psychology, um, was what, you know, this kind of concept of like, why are we rolling around in the muck to get clean? And I'm like, yeah, this makes sense to me. Why are we doing that? (laughs) Great question. Oh my gosh, that's so good. And so then, you know, a decade or two goes by and self-help basically explodes. And with Google and everything, it's easier than ever to do a search and find what you're looking for. It's not so easy to apply any standards of figuring out what is this information. (laughs) Like It could be ridiculous. You just very hard to have that kind of literacy to figure out what you're reading. But but I know that you really think that the self-help industry has ignored change and that true adult development, it's not really addressed with the way the self-help industry is proceeding. What could you say about that? So I would say in general, um, and I'm curious what you think about this too, but I think in general, the, the self-help world is, I mean, first of all, we've got social media. So everything is, is reduced to some 30 second something, yeah. right? So that, that can't be, it can't be complex and nuanced. And guess what? Humans are complex and nuanced, <laughs> you know, who knew? Um, but you know, the, so everything is reductive. And then on the other hand, too, when you're selling, people are selling books or programs or whatever. And, um, you know, they're, they're trying to sell you like, here is a secret or here's a hook or here's a hack that you can do that's going to change your life. Now, my life has been, has benefited enormously by many different, you know, self-help authors and things that have given me ideas or changed the way I think about something. And I have, you know, much appreciation for that. But in general, you're not going to change your life with um, a new system or a hack or some new approach to time management or whatever the thing is, um, a new diet as the you know wellness world is going to sell you on. None of that stuff is actually going to work because they're trying to solve an adaptive problem, which is a developmental problem with a technical solution. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, you're trying to solve a problem that really is about someone's belief system and their assumptions about the world and the psychological threats that they're afraid of um, with uh, some kind of expertise or technical know-how, right? So uh, here's when a technical solution works for a technical problem. Your computer's broken and you need to call someone to come and fix it. Perfect. There's a guy, (laughs) there's a woman, she's an expert. She knows what to do. She takes your computer 
She knows more than you do, fixes it. That's important. Okay. Um, but like, let's talk about, you know, an, an example we could use is like dieting. There are a lot of experts out there on dieting and they'll tell you, eat this, don't eat that. Okay. That's a technical solution. They're mm-hmm. giving you their expertise, their know-how. Okay. That works for 3% of people because wow. for most people, their relationship with food is not a technical problem. It's an adaptive problem. It's a problem because their relationship with food is about beliefs and assumptions and relationships and all sorts of things that have nothing to do with the technical problem. If if someone's like, you know, I happen to have a mother who is one of those weirdos, the 3%, she's a 3%er. (laughs) So my mom, like will go to a lecture and someone's like, swap out, you know, um, your nightly whatever for a bowl of fruit with, you know, bowl of fruit with some heavy cream instead of ice cream. And my mom's like, oh, awesome. I'll do that. Like as if this is some revelation, I, I'm making this stuff up. That's not what any expert's going to say, but you know what I mean? Like whatever yeah, some great is. idea. Yeah. A like, great idea. And she does it. She just does it. She's like, it's like in her mind, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's no different than someone saying, you know, um, you know, I don't know, like change the update, the operating system in your computer. Okay. Click, you know, like that's how she, that's just how she engages with it. She just doesn't have any emotional drama to it at all. It's not a wow. thing. Okay. But if I asked her to stop like <laughs> enabling a child, <laughs> okay, now we're in a whole different arena, right? She can't do that. So for her, you know, the advice of like, just do this and don't do that. It does work for some people because they don't have an adaptive issue around it. She happens to be one of those people, right? Like if they're like, oh, swap out, you know, eating potato chips for um, um, carrot sticks. Oh, who knew? You know, and she does that and it works for her. But that's not most people. Most people are like, you know, have all sorts of mental drama around this. Why? Because they have assumptions about what will ha- like about the big, bad, awful thing that's going to happen when they have to deprive themselves or, you know, they're, you're taking their little fun away or whatever. Everyone has a different belief system around it, right? Or they won't relate to their friends anymore because their friends like to go out and have, you know, meals or whatever. And I can't be the weirdo who's at the restaurant saying, I want this thing on the side. And it's not about just a, simple swap this out for this. It's like, there's a whole Mount Everest of beliefs around exactly. <laughs> around this. Yeah. So, you know, sorry, this is a very long-winded answer to this question, but I would say in general, you know, the whole self-help world with most of the books that you're going to read are approaching change, your change, your growth and development as if it's a technical problem. Like you just didn't know. You, you, you just didn't know you just needed to inbox zero. Did you just know that? You just need to just get that inbox to zero and you won't feel stressed anymore. It's like, no, people know what they should be doing. They can't get themselves to do it. Oh that my gosh, that's so- That's the problem. Absolutely. That's so funny that you mentioned inbox zero because you, my kids, they are relentless uh, when it comes to my emails and they'll grab my phone sometimes <laughs> and point it out. That I have a serious problem because my emails are not deleted. It's just, yeah. 
It's like, yeah, I know they should be deleted, but to me, that is something that's just massive. I don't even know how to deal with that. <laughs> right. And but and the thing is, it's like it's so interesting because, you know, while that might work for one person, it doesn't work for someone else. And so we we, you know, there's a number of problems. One is we're trying to solve adaptive problems with technical solutions. It's never gonna work. Like anytime you're sold, like this system is gonna change your life. No, it's not. This new diet plan is gonna change your life. No, it's not. You know, everyone in the back of your mind, you know, it's true. It's not going to really make a difference, but that's how it's sold to you. Um, And, you know, then the other piece of it too, is that we, we aren't really thinking about um, individual differences. Like we act as if everyone's the same and that's nonsense, right? I mean, the same approach isn't going to work for everyone. It's, it's going to, you know, what works for you is going to be very different than what works for someone else or what resonates with you. Why? Because you have a whole different set of beliefs and assumptions that somebody else does. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, today there are more blogs and podcasts and just social media about the science of happiness. And a lot of it, the same sort of thing is happening there where you could just, you know, just read this, Follow these three hacks and you'll be a happy person. Skippity doodah, call it a day. Yeah. And so I know that you have, um, you have an opinion about that and you think that that kind of toxic positivity is not a good thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I, so there's this phrase to, that go, is going around now called toxic positivity that people sort of like take umbrage with this, like, um, you know, trying to tell me, oh, well, there's a silver, like someone t- brings up, you know, oh man, this thing happened and it's really upsetting. And someone tries to dismiss it or, um, yeah. you know, d- doesn't um, validate your experience by saying like, oh, well, the silver lining or, oh, it's not that bad. Or, you know, just think about what could be, it could be worse. Right. Okay. So these kind of platitudes about um, dismissing the reality that life is hard and life is hard and challenging for everyone. Let us be real. Like, <laughs> When we have an existential moment, we're like, holy moly, we're like floating around on this little ball. We have no idea why. And we're, we're stuck to this planet by this thing called gravity. Like, what is going on? Right. It's pretty wild. <laughs> we pretend like we know what's going on, but we have no idea. Like, none. None. You know what I mean? Like, we make up all these rules and ways of living to like make our lives feel a little bit more secure. But the reality is like not secure at all. We have no idea what we're doing. We made it all up. We made all the rules up. And, um, you know, it, it's it's pretty fascinating. So life is hard. Life is uncertain. All of those are just the fundamental truths of reality of what it means to be a human being. And um, my issue with all of this is that people will say like, oh, well, that, you know, people are, there's now like too much focus on positivity and happiness. I'm like, okay. But when you're dismissing someone's experience, it's not toxic positivity. It's just old school, you know, denial, emotional avoidance. Like that's all it is. It's not actually positivity because my conviction is life is hard. It is courageous to be happy. It is courageous to hunt the good stuff in the midst of life. The easy button is hard. The easy button is to be miserable. The easy button is like, this is all horrible because there's lots of evidence for that every darn day. Right. I mean, it's, it really, like, I think the choosing and, and again, like it is, I don't want to say like, you just choose to be happy. That's platitudinal and stupid, but you know, the, 
committing to reality of like, this thing is, is painful or this thing is challenging or this thing is hard. And I'm going to attend to the good things. I'm going to attend to what's working. I, and, and you do this as a practice like that to me, takes courage. So, um, I think that's so easy to dismiss and positive psychology is often dismissed in this way. I think it's so easy to dismiss sort of like, um, you know, positivity as being like fluffy and, and kind of Pollyanna ish. Um, but I actually think that, you know, if you actually read Pollyanna, like Pollyanna was courageous. Like she actually added a, a practice of, she worked hard to find the good things, um, and not dwell on what wasn't working. And there is so much research to back up the benefits of this. Yeah. Um, so my, my issue with, with like, with this phrase of toxic positivity is that, you know, to me, it's kind of this like backhanded criticism of people who are doing the work of trying to better improve their lives, better themselves, seek out, hunt the good things. Um, and, and I think, no, it's really when people are giving you some platitude, then it's not, it's not, that's not positivity. That is straight up just you know, emotional avoidance. That's someone who's can't handle the feelings that you're, they can't handle sitting with the feelings that you're experiencing. They want it to go away. And so they're, they're shellacking it with a little, you know, gold leaf. <laughs> you know, what you say though about courageous is, is so true because you need to be so intentional to create what you want. This stuff does not happen by accident. No. There's so many things that could get in your way. And it really does take courage. I love that you said that. So, and you mentioned a little bit ago that, um, you know, everybody would agree there's a big disconnect between what we want and what we actually do. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you call the three P's of a socialized mindset, perfectionism, people pleasing and paralysis? Yes. And I think you could put, um, procrastinating probably in that mix too. We could add a fourth P. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, just like children, right? We have our, we have developmental stages in our meaning making system. So the, you know, we, that's what we're doing. We're meaning making machines. That's all we do. We, we, from the minute we get we, we wake up to the minute we go to sleep, we're making meaning out of everything that we are feeling and all of our senses, like what we, what we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we are experiencing internally, we're making meaning of it. So, um, you know, as we age, we are, as you can see it in kids really clearly how their meaning making systems develop. Um, they become more sophisticated. They're able to see things differently. What, um, you know, what a five-year-old or a four-year-old can understand is different than what a 12-year-old can understand in the way that it's not like what they know, it's the way they know it. So, um, you know, the example I always use, because it's just an easy one to think about is, you know, four-year-old looking out of a window in an airplane flying into the air, they will say, a four-year-old will say, look, everything's so small. They think everything's magically gotten small. Mm. They're very literal, right? But a 10-year-old, the 10-year-old sibling looks out the window and says, no, they seem small. Okay. Mm. They're seeing the same reality, but they're seeing the same reality with totally different lens, Right. The four-year-old's very literal, like everything just magically became miniature. The 10-year-old 
has a whole different lens and actually recognizes, whoa, because I'm high up in the air, things appear to be small, but they're not actually small. They're the same size as they always were, but my distance from it makes it appear smaller. So this is just an example of how our meaning-making systems develop as in childhood. And in adulthood, we are still having those kind of quantumly, you know, Copernican meaning-making shifts in adulthood too. And the big one that, um, you know, in adulthood that we are transcending is from a socialized mindset to self-authorship. And so, um, you know, in a socialized mindset, um, it's, it's a developmental stage that we all need to transcend. And it's good. It's not bad. It's positive. We want to get there. We don't want to skip over this because it means that we are, we're becoming good citizens, right? We're becoming socialized into society and we know how to play well with others and we know how to follow the rules and we know how to, you know, do, you know, take our turn. And we recognize that our behavior impacts other people. Um, all very valuable and very important because we live in community. But if we get stuck in the socialized mindset, the problem is, and, and, 60% of adults have not, are not fully functioning, meaning they haven't transcended socialized into self-authorship. So we're talking a large population of the adult population, right? A a large uh, percentage rather of the adult population. Um, If you're stuck in, in socialized, it means that your self-concept, so your sense of self, your identity is still externally constructed. So you are looking to other people to tell you who you are, how you're doing. Um, are you, you know, you're looking to your environment to tell you what role you should be playing um, and how well you're playing it. So when my clients come to me and they're saying, you know, I feel like I'm this smart, capable person. You know, I, I'm well-educated. I, I think, you know, I'm a smart woman and I'm kind of embarrassed that it takes me, I, 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 I mean, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but I spent six hours picking out the sheets from my guest bedroom. What is wrong with me? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, nothing's wrong with you. You're just, you're hitting the wall of being stuck in a socialized mindset uh-huh. that what, what she's wrestling with when she's picking out the sheets, she's not like just, you know, take looking at the criteria and like, oh, I want this thread count and this color done, 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 fine. No problem. No. She's thinking, but my mom's going to sleep in the sheets and she's going to have an opinion. And then, but then, and she's going to think that the bedspread's ugly, but then, but my friends are then going to come over and they're going to think that that like chintzy thing that my mother would like, isn't, you know, cool. And, and now we're like having super mental drama, right? And, totally. and we don't know, and we feel torn in two. And it sounds so silly um, that like how, you know, and someone will say, I can't, I'm 40. And how am I having, the, how is this, you know? my internal world. And I'm thinking, yeah, correct. (laughs) Like this is exactly right because you haven't developed an internalized sense of self yet. You have, you don't have a self-authored sense of self yet. So that's like my client who's like, they're beginning to recognize like, oh my gosh, I'm in a snow globe. And I can see the walls of the snow globe, but I'm not quite sure yet how to get out of this thing. Yeah. They're beginning to see like there may be something on the other side of this thing. Outside of pleasing. It it just can be so painful when you recognize it and you're ready to take a step, but then it's, it's just so painful and confusing and hard. (laughs) Well, right. And so if you think about all of these things, whether it's, um, 
you know, perfectionism, people pleasing, analysis paralysis, even procrastination. The kind of common thread in all of these issues is other people, relationships. The biggest barrier, the biggest psychological barrier in, in all of these kind of forms of avoidance or resistance, right? Or stuckness is, oh my gosh, I'm going to be disapproved of. I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to be liked. Um, I'm, I'm not going to fit in anymore. This is the central struggle. And this is the struggle of a socialized mindset. So and good. And you feel totally embedded in it. Like you can't see anything beyond it. So good, Sasha. I know I could talk forever with you about this stuff. I love psychology. I I love all of your education and your ability to apply it to coaching and, and to, you know, just really thinking about being more intentional and aware of what you're thinking and what you want and how you can help yourself get there. So if people want to get a hold of you, your website is drsashahines.com. The show notes will have the hot link. And of course, please go there for more information. And Sasha, thanks so much for being here today. It was really fun. It was an awesome conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, me too. And and if any of you guys that are listening want to continue the conversation, DM me. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Sasha Hines is my handle. So come find me. I'm. This is my favorite conversation. Awesome. <laughs> how, do, how do we become more um, internalized and self-authored? Love it. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so good to talk to you, Susie. Okay, that's it for this episode. So good. I was so excited to have Sasha on to talk about both positive psychology and developmental psychology in the context of life coaching. There was so much in the interview to relate to. I love Sasha's reminder that it really is courageous to be happy. I just love that. And hearing about the four P's, perfectionism, people-pleasing, paralysis, and procrastination within this larger perspective was so helpful. So as you're thinking about this episode, think about the P's and notice which one shows up for you the most. You can start by being more aware of how you're thinking with respect to that one thing. So if it's people-pleasing, for example, what do you notice that you're actually thinking? What are you really afraid of? What do you notice about your fear of rejection maybe or perhaps not fitting in? What do you notice about it? And you know, sometimes you don't even know that you're thinking it. You might have that feeling that you're kind of getting sucked into that zone. Whatever it is, if you have the feeling, you know you're thinking something that's creating it. They go together, the thoughts and feelings. So just check that out. Be way more aware of it. And also, then you can ask yourself, do you like your reasons for thinking what you're thinking now that you're more aware of it? So once you have the awareness, you can be curious about it. And just be curious with some self-compassion, please. (laughs) That is a great place to start. Okay, so as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. And mindfulness is the key ingredient to regret-proofing your life. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. Now, my focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. Being stuck doesn't have to mean you're completely immobilized, if you know what I mean. It could just be that you're not where you want to be in your life in general or your business, or maybe it's the intersection of the two. Another common reason you might feel off is that you're too darn busy and have no work-life balance. The bottom line is that you know you're meant for more and you don't want to waste valuable time. 
So if you're ready to make some important changes and want to get way more clear about what you want and how to get there, I can help. You just have to learn the skills to move forward and regret-proof your life, and you can do that with some masterful coaching, a top-notch curriculum, an infusion of creativity, and a warm, fun, and awesome community of like-minded women. I would love to help you create the success you're craving, and that's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy. You can absolutely be more fulfilled than ever before. So email me your questions and let's talk about it. Go ahead and book your momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 296. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on my new upcoming podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. 